Coming up this week, off screen. We break the glass. Meet a beautiful boy. Unplug London. Get to know the Queen of Scots. Face off against monsters and men. And board the raft. All those to come and more, off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker Radio Show and Podcast. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. And I'm John Coulson. So, Mr. Coulson, thanks for joining me once again for our usual cinematic frolics. Not a problem. So, before we get to the uh, the film news, the reviews, box office top five, all the fun, uh, we need a piece of news to kick us off. What do you got for me? All right. Uh, Ghostbusters 3. Ghost, like a proper Ghostbusters 3, isn't it? Instead of one of these fake ones that's going around. Well, they had that one a few years ago. If you remember, like three years ago now. It was uh, it was two years ago, but, you know, 2019. Uh, the, the, the Girl Ghostbusters, which officially is entitled Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Ah, oh, right, 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 that, right. That's now deemed a not-true sequel. They're not calling it a fake sequel, but it's not a true sequel. So now Jason Reitman, who's the son of Ivan Reitman, who, of course, brought us the original two, okay. uh, he is going to uh, direct a true sequel. Oh, I, ju- yeah, I just sort of thought that the Lady Ghostbusters was just a... Next yeah. reimagine it. Yeah. Oh, you didn't take it as in continuity. No. I was annoyed. I kind of wished it had been in continuity because they had all the original actors cameoing. So why not have made use of that? But, well, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, it annoyed me a bit. Especially when uh, Dan Aykroyd then turns up knowing about ghosts in his cameo. You're like, yeah, it would make more sense if it was Ray and he'd fallen on hard times and he was a cab driver. But, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll so, yeah, that. Jason Wright was going to do it. There is a teaser out there. Is I believe. Like a, a, an Evil Dead style uh, shot of, of Ecto 1 under a tarp. Oh. So I'd expect something pretty quickly. Apparently, it has been being worked on in secret for a oh, bit. Cool. So, uh, hats off to them for keeping that under wraps. Yeah, also, yeah well, especially these days. Yeah. Especially these days, but also especially because at this present moment in time, we will associate Jason Reitman's name with, oh, he's got that Ghostbusters movie in development, unless, oh no, he's got that god awful Hugh Jackman drama in cinemas at the moment. Which so, the, there's cleverness there. Uh, the front runner, that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was last week. Kelly did it. You're fine. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So before we do our first review, then let's plug the podcast edition because uh, this show gets longer and more fun and more reviews if you get it on podcast form. You hear us laughing even more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, you can find that on Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcast, any any podcast factory or repository you like. They churn them out. Just just pick one up on the end of the conveyor belt. Uh, in the meanwhile, uh, visit moviemarker.co.uk for more news and reviews from us. You can find our competitions on there as well. Um, we're running a Stan and Ollie competition at the moment. Oh. We're giving away uh, Stan and Ollie sets, which come with pencils and little bowler hats on, which are quite cute. That, that's cool. But, I like uh, that. Yeah, so moviemarker.co.uk for that. And uh, we better talk about our first uh, film of the week, then. We better talk about Glass. Okay. So, uh, you looking forward to Glass? You, you in on this one? Uh, Ish. Ish. You, you're an Unbreakable fan? Yes. Okay. Splits? What did you say on that one? That's where the ish comes in. <laughs> That's where the ish. 
<laughs> That's me as well, actually. Okay. That is. I, I like Unbreakable a great deal. I think Unbreakable is, is close to a great movie. What do you mean close? It's a great movie. Yeah, okay. It's, it's not quite Sixth Sense. But, uh, <laughs> so, you know. Um, and then Split I found just a bit too you know weird and goofy and it didn't quite line up. And the bit at the end just felt like a real tacked-on cinematic universe yes. bit. Yes. Yeah. And now, of course, well, allegedly it's all part of the plan. Of course. Split apparently was a smaller part of Unbreakable at one point. Yeah. And then got excised and then turned into its own movie. And Laugh, that became Chapter 2. And now we have Chapter 3, which is uh, the characters from Unbreakable locked up in the same asylum with the character from Split. Right, so this is the idea. So the movie begins with uh, the Beast, you know, uh, James McAvoy's horde character from Split. Right, so one of his, is it 23 personas or whatever, is the Beast. Yeah. Which alters his chemistry, makes it all like Hulk style and and feral, and he eats people who, is it, haven't experienced trauma or something like that? But uh, I think that was the thing. Split was a bit much, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So he's on the loose, he's kidnapped some cheerleaders, he's got them in a warehouse in downtown Philly, and he's sort of taunting them with all his other personas, like that nine-year-old boy on roller skates that yeah. likes to be sometimes, and the Patricia, the uh, the yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire-like character that he puts on. He's, and, and they're all sort of guarding these 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 ki- kidnapped cheerleaders, captured cheerleaders, yeah. whilst they wait for the beast to emerge so he can just eat them. Yeah. And David Dunn from Six, not Six Sense, Unbreakable, sorry, who, you know, by the end of that movie sort of realised he was a superhero, yeah. is now a superhero. He, he is a vigilante, like Dark Knight-style Batman vigilante. You know, under the rain mat, comes out of the shadows, beats the snot out of you. Almost said something else. Uh, beats the <laughs> snot out of you. And, and, so, and he's coming after the, the, the beast. Right, okay. the pair of them are rounded up by the police, put in an insane asylum where Mr. Glass arrives as well, because okay. he's been incarcerated from the end of, of Unbreakable. They've got a psychiatrist. Spoilers. Well, yeah, but it's, it's 20 years. <laughs> Get with the program. Um, so, Dr. Glass, Dr. Glass, Dr. Ellie Staple, her name is. She's played by Sarah Paulson for American Horror Story. Yes. Um, she is a psychiatrist who believes she can cure people of specific uh, conditions whereby they, they delusionally think they are superheroes. Okay. However, they've got Mr. Glass in there, so this is not going to turn out well. And uh, we have a clip of her dealing with Kevin slash the Horde slash... The Beast, specifically in a room lined with strobe lights that she can trigger and that change his personality from one to the next like a roulette wheel. Here's a clip. Madam, I am Mr. Pritchard. I'm a professor of cinema, specifically Japanese, 1950s to the 1980s. And I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing here. I am very much in favor of Kevin's re-emergence, and yet I find myself in a goddamn prison cell, and I can assure you I am not an... Ah. Young man, wait! You will not be able to get to the light. Now, I really liked this initially. Like, in the first, like, ten minutes, I was like, oh, man, this could be awesome. It very quickly drops that. Oh. Oh, boy. I mean, this is a mess of a film. It's disastrously bad. And yet, there's enough verve in those first few minutes to make you delusionally yourself think, 
this could turn out all right. No, it really doesn't. So it starts off with that sort of pseudo-Hitchcockian thing that uh, Shyamalan used to aim for, you know, with like Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and Signs. That kind of pseudo-Hitchcock film student thing that he did. Okay. Which, to be honest, always kind of worked because at least he could do it well. Yeah, yeah. You know, he could do it well. And also his strength was, I think, more in character writing and drama. And when he stopped doing all that, then it all went off the rails. And this manages to go a little bit back to a little bit of the way back to that tone. Right. But then it keeps trying to lean into the slightly more glossy, conventional uh, split. You know, in that way that Iron Man looks like an indie film and Avengers looks like a Hollywood film. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. That's right, the difference right, right, between right. Unbreakable and 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 Split. This sits kind of awkwardly halfway in between, and it never picks a side that it wants to lean more toward because it never quite gets the tone right when it tries to expand this continuity into something a bit this continuity always having been a bit real world yeah you know it, it, it's meant to be a believable yeah our society yeah. when they start introducing actual superhero elements it basically comes off like an episode of heroes oh right right yeah, yeah you know a little bit like you didn't need to do this. Just, <laughs> yeah. just make it an animated show so they can have powers, please. And, yeah. you know, that kind of always squandered potential. This kind of feels like the worst parts of Heroes. Yeah, I always feel if someone's got powers, you, you have to fully commit to it. You, yeah. can't, you can't hint it. You can't, <laughs> really by the way, I'm magic. You have to... Oh, no, no, this one crosses the by the way, I'm magic uh, BS barrier. It really does. So, once they start doing the whole comic book thing, okay. is round about the point, halfway through the film, where they wheel Mr. Glass in. Right? Literally. They literally wheel him <laughs> in, yes. And, um, right, when they do, it, there's two functions to this character. The first is, he's there to try and introduce this sort of believable Lex Luthor element into it. Right. It doesn't work. And no matter how much Samuel L. Jackson tries to do that with it, and you can tell that the performance is trying to do it, the material simply is not there. Okay. The second point is that the material that is there, specifically for Mr. Glass, more or less begins the, the final implosion of this movie, which is he just cannot resist simply naming comic book tropes and going insanely meta with it but not uh not not with a sense of self-realization it is meta text without any self-introspection okay right so we're talking about a character that you know remember danny madigan in last action hero i've seen that once i was right. a child. the little boy in last action hero yeah yeah okay who only ever starred in like three films you know incidentally oh. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I always wanted to be that kid in Last Action Hero. Don't get me started. So, you know the way that he annoys the hell out of Arnold Schwarzenegger in that film? By simply going from plot point to plot point and saying, well, this is a movie, so obviously it's this. Yeah, yeah. Right, Samuel L. Jackson does that in this movie, which is set in our real world. He will walk into a... Well, sorry, roll into a room and say, "In in a comic book, this is when the lights would mysteriously come on. And then he flicks the lights on. And he says, oh, and this is when the scary villain would come round the corner, as he's coming round the corner. Nonsense like that. Once or twice, it'd work. It'd be mildly amusing. It had to be the fifth or sixth time before I noticed it was going on, to Um, be honest. Because I was kind of mind-numbed already. This just has no energy in it from anybody 
outside of James McAvoy. Like, everyone in front of the camera's asleep, everyone behind the camera's asleep. It just nobody can be bothered in this. And uh, then you've got... It, it made even weirder by James McAvoy bouncing around the place, having a ball. Yeah. like Just like he did in Split. Like, fair play to him. He got to do this twice. Um, and it just, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work at all, and it just feels really patronising at times with the way it wants to have its cake and then just have more cake. And it ultimately winds up becoming a, a movie in which its entire cast assembles in a car park to then yell comic book movie tropes at one another. Ah. It's, it's insane. I, I mean, there is a, they literally stood in a car park yelling about how story arcs and comics are meant to work. It is bizarre. It's... Proof positive that the great potential that M. Night Shyamalan once had has been well and truly squandered. I was half excited for this, largely because of Unbreakable, not really because of Split. And, uh, yeah, I was more than a little let down. I came away from it thinking, you get a star from me purely for McAvoy, but nothing else. I mean, this is... I thought this was a worse movie from M. Night Shyamalan than uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, sorry, was it The Last Airbender? Or, uh, it's originally uh, Avatar The Last yeah, Airbender. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought this was worse than After Earth. I thought oh, I genuinely oh, thought oh. this was a worse movie than The Happening. Because, at least with The Happening, there were no expectations. It just sucked. This, that we know there was potential there. So, you know, nil point for me. Sorry, M. Knight or M. Sorry, M. Um, I, I imagine his first name's M. Sorry, M. Nil point for me. Better luck next time. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Mr. Colson. So. You're disappointed about Glass, I can tell. Yeah, really disappointed, because I've gone from ish to just not. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, by all means, see, see the movie. Make well, it's the point of a review. Though, Don't be sorry. The yeah. point of- <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry to let you down. I was disappointed too, but, you know, by all means, see the movie. Make your own mind up. Okay, but, uh, okay. I'll send you one of them, my three-word messages. Yeah, which is, I hate you, or you're right, or yeah. something like Usually something to that effect. Yeah. You're so right, I believe, smart. Also, I... Uh, Recognise the, the ident. Oh, oh, okay, you did good. Well, obviously, if anyone recognises all three of our idents, all they have to do is uh, tweet us what they think they are at Movie Marker and just put hashtag off screen at the end. And hashtag. at the end of the month, we uh, round up a winner for each week, and they can win a DVD. Hashtag more John on the podcast. Hashtag more John on the podcast, definitely. Well, every podcast needs that. So, um, you know what we need more of, though? We need more of Mary, Queen of Scots. Okay. Terrible segue, but it's going to have to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I can tell you're a fan of that. <laughs> So, uh, Mary Queen of Scots, which is... Uh, you, you kind of missed this one. It's had a pretty heavy ad campaign. Stars Saoirse Ronan and big Margot fan. Robbie. Uh, are you a big fan of Margot Robbie by any chance? No. Is there a big fan out there? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, Okay, so this is the, uh, the, the story of a 20-year period after Mary's French husband dies. She returns to take the throne of Scotland. Okay. And more or less immediately is sort of put into an antagonist... Uh, an outwardly antagonistic relationship 
relationship with her cousin, who's Queen Elizabeth, okay. and because she asserts a certain uh, right to the throne, it, it is disputed. And the idea is that if Mary uh, marries and has an heir first, then it strengthens her position to you know, the throne. But uh, anyway, so the whole thing is that they didn't actually have an antagonistic relationship. It's the men of their respective uh, kingdoms who sort of force that relationship along. Okay. Right. So in the meanwhile, they correspond. They actually have something of an amicable relationship. And you'll be able to hear that in this clip. My dearest cousin Elizabeth, we have had our differences and what sorrow it has brought my heart. But before I bring a child into this world, I wish to reconcile. I would, our child, have two mothers. The mother who bears him. And you, his chosen godmother. No child would be more blessed. I actually really loved this. And I didn't expect to. Um, so, confession, I don't remember that movie Elizabeth with Kate Blanchett. Meaning. And I, I, I never saw, is it Elizabeth the Golden Age, which was the second one they made like a decade later. Meaning. And uh, so my knowledge of the, those Elizabethan years are uh, somewhat lacking. But uh, anyway, so when I saw this, though, actually, I was, I was immediately sucked in. I was immediately taken away with it. It has a certain level of trashy period piece melodrama to it. Okay. You know, you, you kind of can't help that, I suppose, when, you, when you're making these. There's only a, a certain level of entertainment you can really strive for with these, I think, when you then have to try and squeeze a lot of subtext in, and this does. Okay. And this is really heavily going for the, for the feminist text, and why not? You know, it, it's a it's a great opportunity at this point in history as well to look at something like this story and actually take it from that angle and look at the treatment of women even when they're in positions of absolute authority, like yeah. you know, being the queen. Yeah, and yeah, um, casting wise, Saoirse Ronan's amazing because it's a day ending in Y. Yeah. You know, she's 24 years old. She's on a third Oscar nom. You know, what what, what did you have under your belt at 24? Just a gut. <laughs> <laughs> a gut. You and me both, pal. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's amazing. She she's just brilliant in this. So much, uh, so, so much in, internal conflict, and the way she puts that across, the way she you know manages to let these little glimmers through, absolutely fantastic. But then, to be honest, I would expect that of Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, I, that, that's not say, a shock. That's, no, that's just what you expect from her these days. Yeah, yeah, it's just day ending and why. Yeah, uh, Margot Robbie though best performance i've ever seen from her not even kidding no really like of all the films she has ever done i do not think she's been better than this that's good yes it really is for the very (laughs) first time i actually think there might be something to the whole margot robbie is a movie star nonsense okay anyway so uh right other cast members in there you've got david tennant pretty good like him you know he's doing that kind of whole uh, uh, jessica jones thing again oh, okay. a little bit creepy kind yeah. of like it looks like rasputin guy pierce is in there as well being guy pierce and yes there is a moment in which uh, you know queen elizabeth and her closest advisor are looking out on her kingdom and you just sort of thinking it's two people from neighbors 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like Queen Elizabeth and her closest advisor. <laughs> and they're both from Ramsey Street. <laughs> so weird. So really weird. Uh, but then again, you know, the God of Thunder is from uh, from Home and Away. So, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> Australian soap actors. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, first film from, I believe it's Josie Rourke, um, female director, first time feature. Really impressive work as well. There's some really inventive visuals in this. There's some great shots. There's a, a really clever use of parallel imagery that contrasts uh, the situation of Mary with the situation of Elizabeth and at the same time shows their differences but also their similarities. Quite clever stuff. Mm-hmm. Really like it. Um, yeah, I, I came away from the whole film actually thinking this was way better than it had any right to be. I expected this to be a little bit trashier, uh, in part due to the marketing for it. Have you seen the the trailer for this I avoid trailers you know this the, the trailer for this amps it up in, in almost like a Tristan and Isolde you know James Franco 2006 kind of way oh, okay. but it plays us up as this sort of trashy you know you know girl v girl cat fights you know imperial oh, right, piece kind of thing like, right you know the kind of thing that the favourite ultimately turned out to be this is the sort of nut kicking version of that Oh. Yeah, the actual physically... Oh, it's also quite violent at times as well. I should, I should get to that. P.S. <laughs> P.S. P.S. Extreme violence. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed it, though. Um, oh, I, I, I genuinely I would watch this again. Like, if, like you know when you and I just go and see a movie and we, we don't really pick anything? We yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, if we wound up seeing this, having already seen it, I would merrily sit through it again. So, what more can you ask? Yeah, there you go. And we only usually reserve that for, like, 21 Jump Street. But. <laughs> We actually did that. Anyway, so uh, give me some film news before we get to the next one. We go. So, John Wick. Oh, I'm a big fan of John Wick. Yeah, even the second one, not as good, but still great in its own way. Still John Wick. Yeah, he shot a lot of people. (laughs) Generally, did cool things. He did. He did indeed. Yeah. But there's a poster and a trailer, and I I might actually watch this trailer. Okay. Is this is it John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum? Don't actually know. I, that. I think that actually is the title. Yes. Yes. It really is. yes. What's the release? Because there is a release date on this, isn't there? I believe. Uh, debut Thursday. So um, useless with dates. No, I mean, I mean the actual film. When is oh, the right. film coming out? Oh, mate, you know you are the worst news researcher. Let's pretend it's got a release date. It's, it's coming. It's at some point in the future. I, I can tell you. Oh, can you tell me? Please do. Well, I, I kind of don't want to. Now. No, 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 no. May 17th. There we are. Was that so hard? <laughs> I can't stay mad at you. <laughs> so May, May 17th, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Um, it's Wednesday the 16th of January today, so I believe the trailer is actually out today. So... Uh, yeah. Is that the way you tell what date it is, by the oh, way? I'm, you so, I'm so bad with dates. Why don't you just press the home screen button on your phone... And the calendar icon automatically changes to whatever the day is. You see, since you use that tone, I'm going to sell you out. <laughs> <laughs> I right. use a, a different calendar. Oh, which you use your fancy school calendar. Well, that's your fault. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's all on you. Can't help you there. But because you've done that, I'm going to make you sit through a review of London Unplugged. Okay. So London Unplugged, which is a, a British ensemble anthology dramedy, you know the kind? 
like there's 11 chapters to it and each chapter is its own self-contained short story with a different cast and a different filmmaker right right there's not really a narrative through line to it there's no tenure i mean the only connection with it all seems to be that it's the life the li- a day in the life of several uh, contemporary you know modern day londoners all right and all right. you know chance encounters lead to romance and friendship and you know there's kitchen sink drama and going on a night out and stuff like that okay okay, okay right. right there's a blend some of the chapters involve animation and different different styles of filmmaking etc um the closest thing it's got to a, a sort of through line or, or a sort of roadmap is uh, this sort of mechanism whereby there's a, a jogger, there's a woman jogging who narrates, you know, different elements of life in London. Okay. And there's a really tenuous link to each chapter. Um, the whole thing's written by Nick Cohen and Nick Hopkins, and Cohen actually directs one of the one of the segments, and the pair of them produce it together. Right. It doesn't really have much in the way of uh, it. I say it doesn't really have much in the way of anything to hook you in or, or sort of you know draw you into the. the the, the, the narrative because frankly every story kind of feels incomplete maybe it's because some of them needed to be longer maybe some of them have just been overwritten and kind of unfinished along the way it's uh, it's fairly uninvolving it's fairly disparate and it feels a little bit all over the shop to be honest even when they try and use the animation nothing really entices you right. to stick with it and I don't know. It's worth seeing for a couple of performances in there, like okay. Juliet Stevenson's in it and, and Bruce Payne, who I always remember as being the bad guy in Passenger 57. No? Just, no? no? Charles Rain is not insane? No? No. You've never seen Passenger 57? No. Oh, okay. Next man night. We're, oh, right. okay. yeah, we're, we're doing that. On the list. So, uh, right. so yeah, uh, Ju- Juliet Stevenson definitely makes this worth seeing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it otherwise, but, yeah, for that. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Mr. Colson, and you know what time it is? Number five. Bumblebee. Which is, it's hanging in there. Did you go and see this in the end? No, and I'm actually, like, everyone says it's good. <laughs> it's, it's so weird, isn't it? Yeah. You're in a Transformers <laughs> movie is good. I, like, when I first heard, I was like, mm, is it? You're like, surely not. Yeah. Has Van been on the drink again? <laughs> <laughs> He's doing a bit, isn't he? He thinks this is funny. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of had that thought when, when like, your know, people I know whose opinions I respect. Yeah. Right, like like Chris Huddysat. Okay. Right, he saw some, you know, A-list, uh, you know, broadsheet critic screening of this, like, in advance, and he came away with, oh, yes, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's so good. It's the Transformers movie I always want to see. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, no way. <laughs> They've got to do You're one. having me on. Like, the Transformers is such a big thing. <laughs> They've got to have done one well. Yeah, but it took them, like, six attempts. I yeah. mean, for credit where it's due. Although, maximum respect for having a Transformers movie that actually contains the line, they're called Decepticons. Does that not set off any red flags? <laughs> and then giving that line to John Cena. Yes. I mean, that's just maximum effort right there. Has anybody tweeted us about it? Yeah. So, um... Charlie Boy for real. Uh, saw hashtag Bumblebee movie. Literal masterpiece. Haley Steinfeld was personal favourite. 
If you haven't seen it yet, what are you waiting for? Number four. Aquaman. Which I hate with the fury of a thousand you know, dying stars, but it's made a billion. Is there any overly dark scenes in the rain? I know I go on about yes, it. Yes, yes, there, there is at least one overly dark scene in the rain. So, you've, you've seen it in the trailer. He lifts a submarine. Oh, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, believe me, you, you've you've not even seen the half of it yet. I mean, th- this is a movie so gormless. The uh, the drum playing octopus doesn't even really register on the sort of top ten nonsense things about it. That's not a casual thing you can drop in a drum playing octopus. But it has a drum playing octopus. Okay, wow. It cuts away from Willem Dafoe to show us a drum playing octopus. All right, is that what you want to hear? It's terrible. <laughs> but you know what? People seem to like it yeah so 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 go on then who we got at selena underscore underscore possibly Mm -hmm. another underscore you can never really tell it's (laughs) just a line um 10 out of 10 recommend gonna see hashtag aquaman because wow number three mary poppins return did you i know you saw this because kelly told me yeah we went to see apparently really enjoyed it in a certain chain cinema's special, very important sort of style. <laughs> VIP screen at the yeah, yeah, world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not play coy. <laughs> okay, so you had a good time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed the songs. I, I enjoyed the everything about it, really. I was very charmed by it. Yeah, and uh, after... You said you've now got a weird thing for Mary Poppins. I was like, oh, Van. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, I've got a weird thing for Mary Poppins. It's it's because you've seen, like, Mary Poppins in a tank top doing push-ups in, like, Edge of Tomorrow. That It just just makes it a little weirder. Well, now it does, yeah. (laughs) Well, there you go. Something to think about. In the meanwhile, who's tweeting us about Mary Poppins Returns? Um, Kate, I think I think it's Blessinger, or I'm going to say Belchinger, because okay, I mean that's not what it is, but she loved hashtag Mary Poppins hashtag, hashtag hashtag Mary Poppins Returns. What an incredible film! Not only pays loving tribute to the original, but also finds new ways for us to all fall further into imagination. Fall oh. yeah. like that, that. Oh. Yeah, bravo. Number two favorite oh yeah fun for us because of kelly's twitter handle yeah oh wow she's just not had a good time with that one has she honestly like i I know people listening don't really care but i'll be sat at home and kel's phone will buzz and then she'll pick it up and the anger (laughs) and i'm like i'm like oh have i done something wrong as she's found out but no just people tweeting me like been to see Kelly at the cinema. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is the weird thing. So, I mean, I saw one where someone said she actually replied to a member <laughs> of the public with, uh, "I'm glad you enjoyed it. I look forward to seeing it. I am not a movie." <laughs> Um, which I thought was just terrific and vintage, Cal. Um, I really enjoyed The Favourite. I thought it was really good. I've seen it a couple of times now. Um, I think it's very sharp, very pointed, very witty, very fun, uh, very nasty and very much in the vein of almost something like The Death of Stalin. Um, I do think the fisheye lens is a bit off-putting. Oh. Yeah, I think that's a bit annoying. My I, doorbell's got a fisheye lens. So. Yeah, I know, but at least it's one of those cool ones that works over Wi-Fi. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and 3G, and 3G. Let's not get the angry people atting us. But uh, those tech community guys, those are, they're really vicious. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I say I watched it a second time this weekend. Ah. But uh, yeah, thoroughly recommended. So, has anyone tweeted about it? Yes, James. 
finally got to see hashtag the favourite before it leaves Simmons. Um Of course, of course. Hmm. Olivia Coleman is flipping amazing, but not enough people are talking about how brilliant Rachel Vice is. He's not wrong. Rachel Vice for me, standout star of that film. Strong. Number one. Stan and Ollie. Which I liked. I have issues with. I mean, it is more of a character thing than it is a, a plot thing. And, uh, right, so, so the weird thing about this is, right, Steve Coogan has this weird American accent through the film. Right. Right. Now, I might be alone in hearing this because other people don't seem to have taken an issue with it and think <laughs> I'm going insane. Okay. I mean, I've, I've had people angrily get in touch with me just to point out that I'm an idiot because Stan Laurel was from Britain and I should do my research. I know he was from Britain. <laughs> I'm just not sure Steve Coogan does. Uh, okay, okay. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, it, it just, you, you sort of think, was it because Steve Coogan's voice didn't sound enough like? Because it is decidedly American. Right. I, I can't think of any other way to describe it, but, mm. uh, yeah. Other than that, I really like the film. Coogan, on, despite the accent, is great in it. See, um, me and Kel have got this thing. When we're at the cinema, you mm-hmm. see trailers, previews, whatever. Yeah. Um, when one finishes, we lean towards e- uh, each other and whisper just yes or no for if we want to see a film. Okay. Quietly, because we're good cinema goers. And this was a no, so... And this I'm, was a no. Yeah, I'm not even interested. I don't know. I don't, it's not like a Saturday night popcorn, please. Well, it's, <laughs> it's more, of a, more of a Sunday afternoon when you're having... When you think, you know what? I'm going to have a wine day today. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those... <laughs> Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the best way to characterise it. <laughs> okay, how's anybody tweeting us about Stan and Ollie? Matthew Smout. Uh, Stan and Ollie, absolutely outstanding film. Great casting. Fair enough. That's all he said. He, he was having a wine day. He was. Yeah. He was. There we are. So, uh, we've got a quick piece of film news before we get to uh, the next review. Uh, we've got a couple that we could possibly talk about. Okay, what's uh, what's taking your fancy? So, um, mainly TV stuff is taking my fancy, but that's because I'm... You, you are quite a big TV person. Yeah. But we'll go for um, Sopranos. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay, so, you watch The Sopranos? No. Okay. I'm surprised. Cause yeah, me too. It, it's, like, you it's, know, when you do watch it... It's going to blow your mind. It uh, really is. It's it, it's a bit... Do you know what it is? Go on. There's quite a lot of it. You know, once you get in... You know, once you're with it, once it's rolling, yeah. there's not enough. Like the shield. Yeah, there's once once you're in it and that ball's going, you do not want it to stop and there's never enough for you. Um, do, you know the, do you remember the first time you ever saw The Godfather? Oh, you're gonna, you haven't seen The Godfather, have you? I haven't, no. Dear Lord. I know. I just feel like I want to just restrain right. you. And In my defence, my brother had it on DVD, fancy little box set, wouldn't let me touch it, so... Well, I wouldn't let you put your grubby little mitts on my DVD. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying little as well, your hands are the size of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, so they're making a prequel movie to The Sopranos. Yes. If you follow on The Sopranos in any way, it kind of undermines what made the end of that series what it was. It's right. a much disputed thing because it leaves a lot in the air. Okay. Um, for, for intentional reasons, it kind of works best that it does. So what they've done is they've, they're tr- now making a movie. It's called The Many Saints of Newark. 
Yes. And it's a prequel movie involving a character who's a big part of the mythology of The Sopranos. His name's Dicky Moltisanti. And he's a huge part of the mythology of The Sopranos, like the backstory of this family. All right. But we've, I think we've only seen him played once or twice in like flashback in episodes. Right. And this is going to be a movie where he is the main character. I think he's played by uh, Alessandro Nivola. Yeah. Who I, get, who I gave really good reviews to for uh, Disobedience okay. before Christmas. Um, he's also famously the guy who got to do the, the talking raptor line from Jurassic Park 3. Remember? Uh, <clears throat> Alan. Alan. Yeah. <laughs> That's Alessandro <laughs> Nivola. He's Billy. Anyway, <clears throat> so uh, he's going to be Dicky Moltisante. You've got a cast now that includes uh, the, the likes of John Bernthal. Yes. And Corey Stoll. Ah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is shaping up. There are other ads. I'm going to pull them up as I'm doing this. But uh, so the whole idea is going to be it's going to be set in the is it 1950s New Jersey riots? Uh, I think. 50s, 60s, 50s, 60s. 60s. There's the New Jersey riots. It's going to be set around then. Yeah. And uh, the, the whole thing is going to be that Dicky Moltisante, the, the much sort of legendary character of the series, he's now the lead. Tony Soprano will apparently be in it as a character as a child. Okay. Because Dicky, I think, is one of his dad's closest friends, and sort of he's the, the cool uncle. Like mentor figure. role. Maybe. Yeah, very much so. Because uh, I think uh, Dicky's son or whatever becomes Tony's nephew. And Oh, wait, so Corey Stoll's in it. Billy Magnuson, who I, I give a lot of jip to, if I'm, if I'm honest. Uh, but I liked him in Game Night. I was going to say. He's great in Game Night. <laughs> great film. Uh, but yeah, and also last but by no means least, uh, Vera Farmiga. She's going to be in it as well. Okay. And Honestly, the casting they're coming up with very much fits with the quality of casting of the show itself. Oh, that's good. Which, that's good. you know, it, it had people like Steve Buscemi join yeah. it over the years. And, and, and Joey Pants. Joey Pants <laughs> was one of the best characters in the whole series. But, uh, yeah, so I can't recommend it highly enough, The Sopranos. Um, so that's The Many Saints of Newark. That starts filming soon as well, I believe. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't have a date on here. But uh, it's going to be directed by Alan Taylor, who brought us a bunch of Game of Thrones episodes and Terminator... What was the nonsense one from a few years ago? Genesis. Genesis, thank you. The one where they're all shouting and pointing guns at them. The wow. photographer on the posters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's do the last review for this plot, then. Let's talk about Monsters and Men, uh, which is... Um, this is... Uh, did you watch this? I, I did. Didn't you? Okay. You and I had very different opinions on this. <laughs> yeah, we did. If, if memory serves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I apologise for that. But, uh, okay. So, the way this works is, this is a film of three stories. And each story basically takes, like, the, the first one's the first act, the second's the second. Yeah. Th- right, you get three black male leads. You start off with Anthony Ramos, you then get uh, J- John David Washington, yeah. and then you get, uh, I think it's Kelvin Harrison Jr. Okay. And all three of their lives, we are shown um, in linear time, like, Story A leads to story B. Yeah. Not directly, but it takes place they take yeah. place in chronological order. They are. And they are, and stuff, they are, yeah. yeah. They're kind of like tenuously connected at best. Yeah. But it all spins around what happens after an officer involved shooting in which a, a black man is killed. Yeah. And the first storyline we get is Anthony Ramos is him uh witnessing the shooting, yep. recording it and then struggling with what to do with that information. Yeah. The second storyline, John David Washington, for instance, is what happens in response to that information. Yeah. And then the third is what happens when the public want to respond to that information. And it's, uh, I thought, uh, a quite cleverly structured story. Uh, we've got a clip, which we'll play for you now. Hey, Zara. 
Where do you think you're going? I'm going downtown. Downtown? I mean, can't you see what's happening out there? And you want to do what exactly? I thought you... I thought I'd what? I thought you'd understand. This happens every day, man. You better start listening to what's going on around you. So this is uh, the first film from uh, Ronaldo Marcus Green. Uh, I thought was actually quite impressive. Now, I want, I want to hear from you first, actually. Because right. you didn't like it when I spoke to you. Yeah, so watched it at first, thought it was really slow. Uh, it didn't link well enough. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you were told... You weren't shown enough. Okay. And then I thought there's three stories that weren't fully explained, that only just met each other, mm-hmm. and then it ended. And I was a bit like... Well, okay. That was rubbish, and then <laughs> and then there's a there's not a lot of music, so there's there's, there's quite a lot of uh, tension. Mm. So you you sort of sat watching it. I think it uses silence to, to gain to, to gain tension yeah. quite a lot, and I think and it does it quite well. To be honest, but. It, but it never it, it never really goes anywhere. Which, it doesn't uh, deliver uh, on the tension. It's it's not yeah it's not like a big action film, so it's it's not going to deliver something big, but. I felt at the time, the first after the first watch, I felt like it delivered nothing. But then explaining it to somebody, I yeah. thought about it a bit more, and I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't as bad. <laughs> so it lingers. Would you say it lingers? Yes. Okay, that, that's something at least. I mean, for me, I thought it was great. I thought it was pretty much the movie that Crash claimed it was fifteen years ago yeah. when that thing got Best Picture. Oh God, that film! <laughs> it was. Do you know what? It was perfectly fine, but it wasn't off oh, patronizing yeah it really was um i like the way that this has been realized i like the like you say the the, the use of things like just basic things like silence to draw out tension yeah uh, the very first shot of the film i think is fantastic and it's that shot of it's just it's out of context with the rest of the film it gets mentioned in, in the second act and it's just john david washington uh driving in his car he's a, he's a cop he's off duty yeah and he gets pulled over simply for being a black man and yeah. he does a lot with without dialogue he does a lot within that scene. That's because he's great. He's terrific in it. I think Anthony Ramos, the, the, who's, who gets the first story, he thought he was great as well. I think that's what bugged me, is he was good but... Yeah. Uh, but then Kelvin Harrison, I think I think he gets the weakest storyline, yeah, but does. I think it's because it's a little bit whinier than the... It's a, it's a whiny millennial story in comparison, but uh, I do think it's worth seeing though. I think if you want a drama with something to say... You know, if you want a better version of Crash, yeah. you know, absolutely check it out. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back for one last ride, Mr. Carlson. Yeah. So, um, should we do a quick bit of film news before we get to Beautiful Boy? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, um, Charlotte Ramplin has joined uh, Dune. Ah, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, good segue too, because it's going to star Timothy Chalamet, who stars in Beautiful Boy. So clever boy. Oh, it's like we wrote it down. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Charlotte Rampling's joined the cast. I think Stone Skarsgård joined this as well. And this this could be interesting. I'm looking forward to see what Denis Villeneuve does with this. It's going to be two movies as well. Okay. So it's a two part, like in the same way that it 
is a two-part film. Right, I'd yeah, imagine yeah, they're not quite with the big time jump. Um, yeah, this this sounds interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of it. But yeah, Charlotte Rampling kind of tells you a little bit about the tone. Okay. And it's it's kind of the tone you'd expect Denis Villeneuve would take with Dune. You know, that, you know, that kind of actor, like Timothy Chalamet or Stone Skarsgård? Yeah, yeah. Batista. Yeah, well, Batista, though, you know, Blade 2049. You know, you need to look at that. And he was really sort of big in on Blade 2049. All right. Like, you look at that, you watch him in that film, and it is an acting role. I mean, to be fair to Batista, he's not really taken, you know, since he's got big anyway, he's not yeah. really taken that many cashy and trashy action roles. No. But Final you're, you're... score was probably about it. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the film roles he's taken, even his Bond villain, it, it's not so much a you know a beat 'em up character as it is an intimidating character, and I quite like that about him. Yeah, he was, I liked him in Bond. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's he's got good good uh, yeah. good uh, what do you call it? Good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He's got a good track record for picking roles. There you go. But okay, so let's talk about uh, Beautiful Boy then. Okay. Which I'm just going to say off the top of my head before I forget it is written and directed by Felix von Greinigen, a Belgian director. Ha ha! I was trying to remember that all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> right, so this is based on the memoirs of both the journalist David Shep and his recovered addict son Nicholas. Right. Now, this is the story of Nicholas's addiction, which began in his teenage years and goes because I think we really go through to his kind of uh, at best late teens, early twenties. Okay. It seems to take place over only two or three kind of years. Um, it's, it starts with casual recreational drug use at high school, you know, fairly normal stuff, but obviously escalates over time to the big point that it becomes a crippling addiction that will destroy not only his life, not only his future, but also the, the present for his family. So okay. we have a clip, and because the film is told in linear fashion, but we get numerous flashbacks. Okay. Not necessarily, you know, consequent, consecutive flashbacks. Flashbacks sort of out of sequence that as affect the narrative oh, as right, we right, need at yeah. any given moment. So this is one such flashback of uh, Steve Carell as David, Timothy Chalamet as Nicholas. This is teenage Nicholas smoking a joint with his father in what sort of a, a bonding exercise uh, for the pair. You did a lot of drugs, right? I, uh, yeah, I did my share. I experimented with some drugs. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but not harmless. There was a guy. This, hey, no, no. This is the lecture part. Right? Yes. Yeah, you worry too much, right? Everyone does it. Just be careful. It's just a little pot. I was partying a little. It's just, you know, it's just once in a while. Mm-hmm. I deserve to party a little now. Deserve to party. I, look, it just, it takes the edge off things. It, 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 it takes the edge off stupid all-day reality. So... Timothy Chalamet doing the Timothy Chalamet thing and Steve Carell doing the Steve Carell thing. Right, they're both terrific. They're both absolutely terrific and they have great screen chemistry. That familial bond, that that father-son, you know, that love, that father-son bond, you feel that. You know, these are great characters and you do feel it. The only problem is they're great characters in a real mess of a film. Um, Not not a mess, actually mess is the wrong word. A real uh, dullard of a film. You've seen this so many times. I promise you've you've seen this. I saw this 20 years ago when it starred James Woods and Sean Young and it was called The Boost. (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. You watch that film now, wow! But uh, especially since they're both like persona non grata nowadays. Okay. But uh, so the the problem is, it is that very standard made for TV, usually starring a CSI actor. <laughs> you know, movie lifetime movie about the drug addicted son or daughter. Yeah. And as such, it comes with the requisite scenes, the plot beats that you know have to be there. The yeah. I think you have a problem. Okay, I'll go to therapy. Now I'm out of therapy, and oh look, I had a bad afternoon, so I'm going to relapse, and then I'll disappear. And then, and none of it's original. And you would think that being able to hang its hat on the you know the real world personal story of the chef family, yeah, you'd think that would give it something of an edge, maybe something new to find. And there's almost something. Oh. Almost. See, the film opens with this scene in which uh, Steve Carell's character is talking to um, an expert on the subject. He's talking to an an addiction expert, a doctor who advises him on the physiological mechanics of addiction and how it works and how the human brain, you know, moves tab A into slot B accordingly. And you think, okay, because he's a journalist. We're told numerous times he writes to Rolling Stone and all these kind of magazines. You know, we've shown him in meetings at Rolling Stone. Maybe that's what this film's going to do. Maybe this film is actually the story of Taken style. That, you know, the the journalist used his very particular set of skills... (laughs) to try and, and, and delve into addiction and the treatment for addiction in a new way. Now, that's an interesting story. No, none of that. Oh, okay. No, no, right. it's just, it's the state, it's the straight, I think you have a problem, and no. I have a problem, you have a problem. It's that movie. Right. You know, that yeah. that, that one. You know, and it, We've it, all seen it that goes. Movie. I mean, the weird part is, I'm, I'm pretty sure Josh Hartnett did this, stranded on a mountain last year in, uh, was it like Six Below or something? No one saw it, uh, yeah, yeah. but it, it was terrible. But yeah, that one with Josh Hartnett on the mountain and Mira Silvino was his mum. Right. My mum watched it at Christmas, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is Julia Roberts and Lucas Hedges have a teen addiction drama out soon as well. Really? Yeah, you know how I know? Because I hadn't heard of it. The Oscar screen had turned up. That's uh, how I heard about it. <laughs> like, they literally put this movie that we won't bother advertising. It'll win Oscars anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get yeah. some nominations. Oh, God. Yes, yeah, so that's how I've heard of it. But uh, the film itself has nothing in the way of real presence. Like, once you you know, put aside the two leads, it's got no real presence. It's shot very, what you would describe as capably. Yeah. You know what I mean? Capable. Yeah, it it yeah. looks like a pharmaceuticals ad. You know those adverts you see on American TV? Yeah. Side effects may include. Was, uh, Consult yeah. your doctor for more information. Yeah. You know, it is one of those. It looks like one of those, but every now and again you get, you know, the lingering, you know, uh, what's, what's the term from Wayne's World? Awards, uh, awards shot, awards clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Oscar <laughs> clip, that's it. It's got those moments where you want to have Wayne's World style, have that bit across them, Oscar clip, and it's, you know, Timothy Chalamet at a diner table twitching and oh, doing yeah. a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, they are great. And by all means, if you see the movie, you know, don't, don't think you're in for a bad time because you will love those performances. Okay. But, you know, you will wish they were in a better movie right. or at least one that didn't end with the most patronizing PSA you've ever seen. Oh. I mean, really, I've seen directed direct uh, made-for-TV movies about killer bees that came with... with with marginally less patronising warnings about the impending rise of the killer bee than are in this film. Oh, wow. Really. 
It's it's terrible. There's there's an almost Donald Trump like statement about the opioid epidemic at the end of this. Oh, and just like wow, I feel like this should just come with a, a, a toll free Samaritan's number on the end. <laughs> uh, it, it, it really is like that. Uh, the performances are great though. Can't fault it for that. It's it, it's fine, I guess, on balance. Like great performances, bad movie. I suppose the end result is kind of somewhere in the middle, really. So. It's not film of the week, anyway. No, I figured. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not film of the week. Um, it's uh, well, I mean, Mary Queen of Scots. If you can see anything this weekend, go and see Mary Queen of Scots. Yes, it's, fair uh, it's, a, it's a good movie. I really enjoyed it. So uh, let's see. About next week, we have the documentary Bergman: A Year in the Life. Next week, okay. Um, I mean, I don't know about you. I always feel like I could learn more about Ingmar Bergman. I mean, yeah, it's no. on my to-do list. <laughs> yeah. uh, one you will have heard of, Vice, is next week. Yeah. Uh, Christian Bale's Dick Cheney. Any interest in that? Uh, just because I like Christian Bale. Yeah, for, and he's good, in it? Oh. I can tell you, he's good. He won an award for it last yeah. week. He won a Golden Globe. But uh, we've also got J-Lo's latest comeback next week. We've got Second Act. I am in. <laughs> really? No. Because I know because I know your missus would merrily go and see <laughs> yeah, she it. Will. She really would. <laughs> Let's see. Next week, the documentary On Her Shoulders. I confess I haven't looked that one up. Uh, Nicole Kidman in Destroyer. That's next week. Mm-hmm. That's meant to be insane. Uh-oh. Like, that's one of those where people really are talking up. Like, she could win Best Actress for this. Oh, cool. Which, fair. I mean, I, I don't particularly think Olivia Coleman should have Best Actress the favourite I think it's a bit obvious apart but then yeah. again I said that about Gary Oldman last year so uh, you know <laughs> make of it what you will uh, we've got The Mule the latest with uh, Kevin, Co- uh, Kevin Costner Ke- uh, Clint Eastwood yeah. oh yeah the other one yeah saw a, a preview um, yeah like a trailer for before. that's interesting yeah. like pretty novel idea I, I, I want to see it Kind of feels like the other side of the mirror from Gran Torino, though, does I think, you know what, I think that's why I want to see it. That's the best film I've only ever seen once. Really? Do you know what, I think it might be as well for yeah. me. Uh, and, of course, next week, the uh, Dancer Tale Love Sonia is upon us as well. So we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. In the meanwhile, don't forget to check out the podcast edition for more reviews, which I think this week includes The Raft. The Raft. And, uh, and more film news and, of course, Moment of Cage. Uh, this will be the County Store production for Movie. Movie Marker, I've been Van Connor. I've been John Coulson. And we shall return. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more movie news, reviews and more, visit moviemarker.co.uk. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Podcast extras. So, Mr. Coulson, um, so we, we should talk a bit more about Monsters and Men because you, you seem to have more to say. Yeah. Go on. So, um, as I said... Explaining it to somebody and thought mm, it was actually a little bit better than I originally thought. Okay. Since I give you a three word review of <laughs> that, that was shit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, um, but yeah, I think if if a film wants you to think about what it's shown you, if it's got something to say and it, and it wants you to think about what it's said, mm-hmm. I think it should give you a minute to process. Yeah. And I think that's what the film doesn't do. So at the end of the first story, something happens. And I, I don't know. I, you, I think it should have given you a minute to mm. agree that it, it, 
it, it was a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't have happened, and think about how it does happen, and it should have given you that minute, because then I think it would have had more of an impact, but instead it just moves on to the next one, and you're like, whoa. I'll, give- I'll, I'll counter you, I'll counter you by pointing you back towards the clip we actually used for it, of yeah. the, the baseball kid from the third act, of his dad telling him, Look, you, you, you need to not focus on this. This happens every day. Yeah. You need to accept that this is the world. And I really liked that about the film, that for me it captured that paranoia. It captured that that hostility and that tension that exists between the black community and the police for the, lo- the, the frequency with which police will step over the line when it yeah. comes to racial profiling. And I, I thought, it, for me, it got that because it had the, the insensitivity... To, to basically have something terrible happen and then just move on. And yeah. just move to the next thing. Because it kind of like life in that way. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. give you that. I think the same thing happened uh, second act uh, around the dinner table. Yeah, same. Conversation, yeah. disagreement, move on. And you're like, whoa. Exactly, I really love that scene. Do you know what I didn't realise about when I was watching that? Uh, John David Washington's wife. I couldn't place her the whole way. I'm like, I know this woman. I looked at some Nicole Bahari, or Behar, I think her name is. She was the female lead in that awful Sleepy Hollow series a few years back. Oh, the TV. Yeah, you know uh, the one where Ichabod Crane was like yeah. a modern CSI. Yeah. Where he transported through time and yeah, yeah, the whole thing. But yeah, she was the, the female cop in that. Mm. But, uh, the whole way through, that was bothering me. So I think, all in all, if. If you're going to watch a film mm-hmm. that has a point, makes you think, and wants you to go away and talk to your friends about the film, yeah, watch Black Klansman. Okay, <laughs> for the for the same kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's the same kind of thing. It, I mean, even the same actor mm. being better. Oh, John David Washington. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair, I, th- fair. I think. You it, like a bit more entertainment with your statement. I think so, but I, I also think because I've only recently seen Black Klansman, yeah. I also think it might have been too soon. Um, but I mean, you've got to understand as well. Black, I mean, Black Klansman was a while ago. Now. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. was. It was, it was what, like five five months ago. Something like that? Yeah, it was. It was quite it was a, while a fair ago. while ago. I mean, but, it's, it's because it's now hitting home platforms. A lot of people are seeing it yeah, for the first it, time. It all so, of a sudden, so good. Like the first couple of weeks of this year, like everyone's watching Black Klansman. Mm. But, uh, you know, it, it happens, certain films come out on home release and they get a second lease on life. I mean, the most famous example in history is The Shawshank Redemption, a movie which made next to no yeah. money in cinemas yeah. and nobody saw it, although the critics gave it glowing reviews and then obviously it hits home entertainment like a year later at that, back in, back in those days, because yeah. it used to be like a year for VHS. You didn't have to wait that long. And then, you know, when it hit VHS, it gained this whole mm. other lease on life. I think also in that case, though, because Morgan Freeman became more of a bankable star uh, in that time yeah, as well, makes because sense. like Seven things like that. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, films do gain like Austin Powers; they gain a whole yeah. other lease on life when they hit home release. And Black Klansman seems to be doing that, and that it's happening around awards season is really really good. Yeah, because yes, please make that happen. Yeah, but uh, also I really love the music in that movie. 
everything about it. Great score. It's just a great film. Yeah. So, uh, let's do some film news. Um, okay. One, one that did catch my eye. Um, you know they've been adapting The Witches, Roald Dahl's The Witches? Yes. Yeah, so this is happening. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is producing it. Alfonso Cuaron's producing it. And Robert Zemeckis is directing it. And now it's got a star. It does. It does. It has Ms. Anne Hathaway. As it starts. So, yeah, this could be interesting. Mm. Um, I'm intrigued, because, you know, Anne Hathaway, she uh, she can make or break a film, depending. I mean, you look at something like, for instance... Depending well, on her not, accent. Not, yeah, yeah, depending on her accent. Because what was the one from One Day? What was it? Is it Nottingham or Leeds? Leeds, or Leeds. <laughs> that was a terrible accent. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely atrocious. Um, this, you pointed this story out to me earlier, and that's that uh, Bill Murray, who's an actor I believe you're a big fan of. Yes. And Well, we're all big fans of Bill Murray back in the day. Yeah, we, we had this conversation you know, earlier. Not when he's doing, like, flowers on the window. Kind yeah, of I, I think it, I recently watched Zombieland again. So. Yeah. Well, he's good in that. He's fantastic. He's, he's actually having fun for a change. But <laughs> I liked that one. A few years ago he did one where he actually did an outright comedy again. He did a straight comedy again. Yeah. And it was with Melissa McCarthy and Naomi Watts. And it was Saint Vincent? I, I don't know. Say. Did it was about four or five years ago. He did a comedy with Melissa McCarthy, and it was actually not bad. I'm gonna have to. Uh... But, uh, it's on the streaming services. I think it's on like Amazon Prime or Netflix or something. Oh, okay. So okay. You, you should be able to find it easy enough. But uh, yeah, so Bill Murray is going to team up once more with Sofia Coppola, which is a big deal, obviously, because she directed him in Lost in Translation. Yes. You know, that was uh, quite the hit yeah. when it came out. And, uh, yes, yeah, so they're going to team up again for an upcoming film called On the Rocks. It's going to star uh, Rashida Jones. Yes. And Perkins. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much what I always think whenever I say Anne Perkins um, so Rashida Jones stars she's going to be a young mother who uh, reconnects with her estranged father played by Bill Murray and he's described as being a larger than life playboy good times I mean I mean because there's only two actors in the world you get to be uh, you know a larger than life playboy at that age okay and they are Bill Murray and Michael Douglas you only get those two okay maybe Steve Martin maybe no like I could see Steve Martin pulling that off Uh, Uh, Ted Danson good good place era Ted Danson could pull that off how good is he in the good place he looks good with grey hair he does doesn't he he pulls off the whole white hair I love the good (laughs) right so here's where this gets even more interesting the the film uh, On the Rocks this is going to be the first feature production under the new deal between Apple and A24 you know A24 the studio that make all the sort of acclaimed horror kind of films they made Hereditary for instance yes yeah, the Apple signed a deal with A24 to produce a number of feature films for their new streaming service that they're yeah. launching. Isn't that supposed to be, like, family-friendly, though? Well, this is the thing. When it comes to films, they can. I think they're going to be a bit more uh, selective. But, oh, okay, uh, okay. But then again, who knows? You know, we also, it sounds like a comedy. doesn't necessarily have to be too raunchy, I suppose. Yeah, no, you've got a fair point. But, yeah... I don't know. I'm, 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 the whole Apple streaming thing, I'm not that sold on. Yeah, me. It's not yeah. like the Disney one. I'm sold on the Disney one. You've got no choice. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, the Disney live action, you know, adaptation thing that they're doing. Yeah, don't. No? Because they've, they've announced another one. If 
Uh, they've already killed Jungle Book, so... You, you're really taking the Jungle Book to heart, aren't you? Look, right. <laughs> Did child. you watch Mowgli? No. You need to watch Mowgli and let me know what you think, so I'm very curious. All right. But really, it's on Netflix. You can watch it. It's, right. it's, 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 I think you'll like it more than the Disney one. It's because the Disney one was shocking. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, so the director of M Butterfly, David Henry Huang, has been signed up to direct a live-action musical adaptation of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll be really honest with you, I kind of don't with The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I saw that in the pictures and didn't do anything for me. It was like, 96? I think I've seen it once. I think I saw it that one time at the cinema and I never really saw it again, but I'm sure it was about 96, 95, 90, no, 95 was Pocahontas. I'm sure Hunchback was 96. That's when we used to get only one Disney movie a year. So I was 10, so I was too busy like playing football and eating dirt. I think my mum forced me to go along like with her and my sister to see uh, uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. My sister and my cousins. That younger was sister, was. yeah. Younger yeah. sister and my cousins were like the same age as my sister, so you know we all had to go to that. And I think I, more than anything, I think I wanted to be next door watching Independence Day again. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, because 13 years old and it was the summer of 96. You know, it was like that or Twister. Like, I just want to watch those two movies on loop. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's fair. You know, actually, there's been this thing in the in in the the, the sort of film Twitter sphere this last week, and it started with uh, a Guardian article okay. that 1999 was a banner year for films. All right, that it was a year unlike any other, and we'll never see any like it again. And they list like the films that came out that year. Okay, and you know, and it's things like The Matrix, yeah. Fight Club, yeah. Will's Enough, uh, American Psycho, yeah. Boys Don't Cry, things like that. Okay, yeah. and you think, okay, it was all right, I guess. Yeah, so, one of the things good. I wanted to do was I wanted to put that to the test, and I wanted to actually pull up a list of the films that opened in 1996 and go through because I can remember some really daft ones. But, you know, why wouldn't I? I'm, I'm me. Yeah. So, you were 35 in 1990. <laughs> What's that joke for America? You ever heard this, there's an American dad joke uh, where Roger the Alien says something like, uh, oh, back, in the, uh, back, in, back in the 50s when I knew Stocker Channing. And he's like, you, you knew Stocker Channing in the 50s? No, I knew Stocker Channing in her late 50s. <laughs> she was already 46. Uh, sorry, in the late 50s, it was already 46. Says he knew in the 50s. Yeah, whole thing. But... The whole gag is that she's ancient. But, okay, so I'm looking at the... <laughs> that went terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. Okay. Right, this is, this is, the, this is the list of films that came out in... 90, sorry, I've got 96. It was 99, wasn't it? Yeah. Sorry, I'm losing my damn mind today. 1999 in film. There we are. Okay, because 1996 opened with, like, 12 Monkeys. I'm like, that's an amazing movie. You seen 12 Monkeys? No? Yeah. Okay, I'm just racking up a list here, John. It's the same. I think okay. it's the same thing. Like I think my brother got like. Do you remember when you bought a DVD player and it came with a hundred DVDs? No. All right. Well. My first DVD player came with Deep Blue Sea, The Matrix, Three Kings, and oh, Austin Powers. No, I can't remember. So yeah, my brother got one, and Seven was the only one that yes, I'm, the only film that I managed to see, and that's because he'd left it in the DVD player, so I know I'd get away <laughs> with just pressing play, and I wouldn't get like my ass kicked for touching his stuff. <laughs> right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through a list of all the films that came out in a year unlike any other. Okay, right, at first sight, the blind Val Kilmer romance. 
No. no. Varsity Blues, the James Van Der Beek football movie. Never really made much of a cultural impact. I mean, I have friends who really like it. The guy's a meme. He, he's a meme. Virus, the Jamie Lee Curtis, like, aliens with an alien computer virus movie. I think I've seen that. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> really? uh, let's see. Uh, Simply Irresistible. Remember that one? That's a, that's a song. It's a chef movie. It's a rom-com about a chef played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah, that's a no. Oh, wow. Okay, Message in a Bottle, the Kevin Costner, Robin Wright, Rom Dram. That's a song. My Favourite Martian, starring Christopher Lloyd and Jeff Daniels. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, remember that one? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, The Deep End of the Ocean, that melodrama with Michelle Pfeiffer. No. Yeah, no, okay, not that one. Oh, Baby Geniuses was out this about that year. Nope. No? Okay, also starred Christopher Lloyd. Um, the Rage, Carrie 2. That was 1999. Forces of Nature. Rom-com starring Ben Affleck and Sandra Bullock. That was that year? No. No? Uh, do you remember Ed TV? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Remember with Matthew McConaughey? Yeah. yeah that was actually half decent. Uh, the Mod Squad. Yeah, remember the Mod Squad? They adapted the old 60s, 70s TV series The Mod Squad into a movie. It starred Giovanni Ribisi. Was it? I can't. I think it was Mackay Pfeiffer. Oh, I think right, it was yeah. McIver and Claire Danes. And oh. um, there's, there's a brief period in the late 90s where Tay Diggs and Mackay Pfeiffer just kept starring in the same movies at the same time. All right. And it got really, really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Because they're, they're both like cool young studs as mm. well, and they all they always had that same exact pose in the same leather jacket. Yeah, I was going to say like Jack's guy in a leather jacket. <laughs> they, they were they were that exact same pose: white wall, yeah. leather jacket, slight lean to the left, Obviously. that shadow in the same exact position. It, it was the same. They kept doing it as well. Uh, oh, let's see. Oh, well, the ten things I hate about you is ninety nine. So maybe the, maybe things are looking up. Ah, here we go. The Out of Towners, starring Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn. Nope. No, okay, that was that year. <laughs> Life, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. No, no, maybe more famous for the song than the film. Okay, Life, oh life, oh life, oh life. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, Pushing Tin. Did you ever see Pushing Tin? No. John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton are uh, air traffic controllers. I hate Billy Bob Thornton. Who start trying to bone each other's wives? I hate Billy Bob. Okay, that's that's fair. Um, <laughs> Existence, one of the worst David Cronenberg movies. Jude Law does virtual reality. Yeah, no. Wants to be Videodrome, decidedly is not. Uh, Entrapment. Did you, you must have seen Entrapment. Yeah. That Sean Connery one with uh, uh, Captain Zeta Jones. Yeah. 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 That was that was just terrible. Oh, Idle Hands was out that year. I liked Idle Hands. That's a band. Have you never seen the movie Idle Hands? I don't think so. No. You have never seen Idle Hands. No. Oh, mate. Ne- ne- next time you're around mine, honestly. It's, okay. It's <laughs> just the greatest. All right. Cool. It's a movie so good it even has a cameo by Offspring. I'm in. I'm in. And I don't mean like the least. I mean the entire band. Oh, I'm in. What, noodle yeah. and everything? <laughs> Let's, oh, oh, here's another one. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. What a piece of shit that turned out to be. Let's uh, <laughs> see. The 13th my, floor? I think my dad took me to Star Wars. Oh, you said that about Episode One, yeah. And, oh, yeah. That, no, yeah, no, that yeah. was the only one you'd seen. Yeah, and my dad was like, yeah, it's not Star Wars. 
Uh, okay, uh, so Star Wars episode one of Phantom Menace. Uh, the 13th floor, virtual reality movie starring Craig Bierko. No. No? Doesn't, okay, it wasn't great. that way. <laughs> <laughs> Decidedly was not great. Uh, Wild Wild West. Yeah, that was that year. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Hang on. Wild Wild West. That was 98. Wasn't it 98? Okay, know. must be 99. Do you want to know something really embarrassing? What? I had this single. So did I! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, it came on in the song recently when I uh, came, the song came on in the car recently when I was playing Designated Driver, and uh, it, it I was on my own at that point. I was just like, "Holy shit!" I actually remember all the words to this. Of course you do. Of course I do. Every line in that song I remembered. Uh, Muppets from Space. That one sucked. Okay. Yeah, that one, that one was pretty bad. Uh, the Blair Witch Project. I still maintain is a terrible movie. I avoided it. I. I've only just started getting into horrors. Oh, God, The Haunting. Did you ever see The Haunting? No. That was the one with Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Right, they released... You you know in that Armageddon Deep Impact-like way? Yeah. In 1999, they did that with Haunted House movies. Oh, right, right. So you had The Haunting, and then you had uh, House on Haunted Hill. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, And I think House on Haunted Hill turned out to be the better regarded one, because for one thing, I think The Haunting was like PG-13, right. and House on Haunted Hill was an R. There you go. And it was more violent and yeah. nasty. And it, I think that one starred Tay Diggs, so not Mackay Pfeiffer. Did he have a leather jacket? He did have a leather jacket. <laughs> he actually had a leather jacket in the film. <laughs> He's so happy about that. I really am. <laughs> I feel like every time for the rest of my life now, whenever I see either Mackay Pfeiffer or Tay Diggs, I mean, it doesn't work as much now because as they've gotten older, they now look a lot less similar. Yeah. But when they were, you know, in their prime, yeah. you know, they, they looked very similar. <laughs> they did all the same kind of roles. <laughs> Although I do love Tay Diggs in that movie Go. From 1998. You ever see Go? No. Doug Lyman movie takes place over Christmas Eve. Really good movie. I'll show you it sometime. Okay. But now that's how you do like an ensemble anthology movie. Oh. Although that one's a bit more Pulp Fiction-y. Okay, so let's see. Other movies that sucked in 99. Uh, I'm not going to say <laughs> Mystery Man. Uh, Bro- Broke Down Palace, I suppose. A little bit. That, that kind of blue. Oh, Mickey Blue Eyes. You ever see that one? No. Hugh Grant... Yeah. Uh, proposes to his girlfriend, and she has to confess that her dad is a mobster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played by James Caan. No. No. Yeah, yeah, I really wouldn't bother. The 13th Warrior. Antonio Banderas plays an Arab. Again. You know how I feel about this. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, isn't that the oil movie? No, no, no. He's done it multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> okay, multiple times. Anthony Hopkins has slapped on the fake tan and played an Arab. And I'll tell you something, as an Arab myself, it pisses me off. Okay? It pisses me off. <laughs> right. The astronaut's wife, that was that year. That was uh, that was like Rosemary's Baby, but with Johnny Depp and Charlize Theron. Wasn't terribly good. You're still laughing at me now. <laughs> he was so angry. <laughs> it really does piss me off. It's like we got Oded Fair for nothing. <laughs> nothing. Oded Fair's existence is worth less than nothing so long as Antonio Banderas continues to exist. I need to look that guy up. Who, Oded Fair? Yeah. <laughs> He's the dude from The Mummy. Played Ardette Bay in The Mummy, you know, with the, the long hair and the bit. You have unleashed the creatures we have feared for more than 3,000 years. 
there will be no stopping. I know what you mean. You know what I mean? From from Deuce Bigelow. Women pay me to give them pleasure. Oh God. <laughs> I love that dude. Oh god. <laughs> oh, 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 here's one that came out in ninety nine. Shoot. Right. Chill Factor. What? Oh my god. Did you never see Chill Factor? No. Right. Chill Factor starred uh Cuba Gooding Jr. and Skeet Ulrich. Wow. That's a right. name. And they were a pair of like truck drivers who were transporting like a hazardous chemical that if it reaches above a certain temperature will like destroy the world or something. I'm right. Destroy the city block. That, I'm like, no, that, that yeah, rings yeah. bells. This is actually a thing. This happened. So yeah, Chill Factor, which came out on September first that year. It was terrible. It really was. Uh, let's see. Stigmata. Remember that one? That was... Uh, which Arquette was that? Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. She gets the actual Stigmata. Yeah. And, like, Gabriel Burns, the priest, who, like, tries to exercise her... Exorcise? Ex- perform an exorcism. Yeah. Exerciser. Like he's a Pilates instructor. <laughs> but uh, the whole thing was, it had this, like, insane hyperbolic style to it. Mm. And it, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it even included, like, a, a rave track by Chumba Wumba. Oh, wow. <laughs> The song was called Amnesia, and its chorus was Do You Suffer From Long-Term Memory Loss, repeated over and over again. You know it, yeah. Uh, Blue Streak was also that year. Martin Lawrence, the criminal who pretends to be a cop to get his stash diamond from the air vent. You made me watch that. I did not make you watch that. Yes, you did. Was it on Now TV once, and we had like half an hour to kill, and I said, let's just leave Blue Streak on? Because there's no way I would willingly sit through the whole Blue Streak. That might have been it. Although Dave Chappelle's in it, so I wonder if it's... No, it's not worth a revisit. No, it's not. Oh, okay, here's one. Double Jeopardy. That was out that year. Wow. Remember that one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah. I saw it in cinemas, and then I had the misfortune of watching it on a flight afterwards. I love watching films on planes. They are not anything Mm. near the actual film that you're supposed to see. (laughs) No, no, they are not. I saw the Um, last stand on a plane. Well, the short sticker one. Yeah. Oh, God. So much of it was cut. Really? Why bother? I think the last flight I got on, I got drunk off my ass, and I fell asleep watching Pacific Rim and... No, I, st- I watched Thor The Dark World all the way through, and then fell asleep halfway through Pacific Rim. Wow, you should have done that the other way around, and I'm a Thor fan. <laughs> <laughs> my cat's called Odin, for uh, God's sake. I got to watch a little bit of uh, Pacific Rim Uprising uh, while I was away over Christmas, because it premiered on Black Sky Cinema. Yeah. And I was with my mum, and I, I had it on. She's like, oh, God, they made another one of these. First one's great. I was like, yeah, yeah, she's, like, it's, it's nowhere near as good as one. The first one was rubbish. Although, have you watched it recently? The first one? Yeah. I watch it semi-regularly, I would say. I don't think it holds up as much as I remember. No, it holds up. Okay, all right. No, it holds up. You're just wrong. Uh, Yeah, I'm all right. That's fine. I'm I'm all right with that. It's okay. You can be be pretty or you can be right. You can't (laughs) be both. (laughs) Right, let's see what else we had. Um, Oh, God, the story of us. Now, you won't have seen this, I'm guessing, because nobody bloody saw this. Right, it was a sort of romantic comedy drama starring... I like that nobody saw it, and you're like, off the top of my head, this is what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why I'm me, and yeah. That's why I don't sleep at night, because all this is crammed in the noodle, and... Nobody saw it, but scene for scene, here yeah, we go. scene for scene. Here's what happens. <laughs> right, it stars uh, Bruce Willis and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer 
as a middle-aged couple, they've got sort of uh, adult kids, and uh, they, 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 the kids leave home kind of thing. Right. And uh, they're faced with, like, having to sort of get to know each other again for like, the first time in, in, like, decades as a married couple. Oh, okay. And they, they wind up sort of separating. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's not very good. It's not very good at all. It's got a really good scene in it, though. And this is how rubbish the film is. This scene is crap. But I still remember it because it's the only good scene in the whole movie. Don't lie, there's two good scenes. Um, uh, the first one is where Bruce Willis tries to take it, tell a publisher, tries to pitch a publisher his grandmother's life story based entirely on the fact that she was a four foot nine immigrant who raised a family. Okay. And, and like that was personally impressive to him. And he tries selling the story to a publisher, and it's just terrific. Okay. It's, like the, it's like the last great bit of Bruce Willis acting. All right. Because, oh, no, no, Unbreakable was a year later, so I'll give him that. Yeah. Uh, but there's another scene as well where I think Rob Reiner uh, tries, to, to, tries to tell Bruce Willis about perspective. Okay. And he says, turn around, bend over, and says, right, now, what am I touching here? And he says, my ass. He says, no, you see an ass, and I see the tops of your legs. That's perspective. And <laughs> that's actually a thing. <laughs> Just wow. I know, and that had the temerity to open in cinemas on the same day as Fight Club. So, yeah, go figure out that one. Fight Club <laughs> makes me feel bad because it's one of them films like, you know, everyone hates, yeah, the film's good, but the book's better. Yeah. Fight Club. Mm. The film's good, but. The book's better? The book is better. Oh, okay. I'll, 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 I'll take your word for that. Okay. Uh, let's see what else was out that year. Um, okay, The Messenger, the story of Joan Ark, starring Mila Jovovich from Luc Besson. No. Nope, terrible. It really was. The Bachelor, in which Chris O'Donnell has to... Does he have to get married to get a fortune or something? Are we talking about the dude who played Robin? Yeah. You just know. Yeah, it was it was terrible. It starred Reese Witherspoon, I remember that. You played Robin in uh, a Reese film. Renee Zellweger, the other one. You yeah. played Robin in a film which we tore apart once, and now I can no longer watch that film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did a commentary track for that, yeah. didn't we? We should get back into those, actually. Uh, let's see, what else was that year? I mean, to be honest, we're now in December, and it's getting marginally better. Uh, Bicentennial Man, I don't think was that bad. My parents love that film. Robin Williams is good now, I like him. Any given Sunday, bit of a mess. Oh my god, Galaxy Quest, which opened on Christmas Day that year. What a movie. Yes. Yes. Me and you uh, watched that. Actually, no, the rest of the movie ended, the rest of the year ended pretty well. So, I don't think 99 is a particularly, you know, devastatingly strong year. I mean, there are well, it could equally have been, strong years. It just could have been really good with a lot of shit. Like, eh. I'd say there's as much shit in the list we've just read out uh, than there is good stuff. All right. You know, there's as much of either, I would say. I don't think it's particularly mega year, because there are equally as many turkeys in there. Okay. Okay, so um, we should probably do some actual work. Because we have got one review left to do. Instead of us just kicking off about somebody said a year was good and we disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we should talk about The Raft, which we've actually both seen as well. Yeah, we have. Uh, So The Raft, which is a documentary about... (laughs) Right... (laughs) 
Right, let me see if I can just phrase this as best as I can. So in the 1970s, an anthropologist named Genovese, Santiago Genovese, I think his name was, uh, set up an experiment whereby he had a raft created, yep. like ye olden times, engineless raft, yep. created 12 metres by 7 metres, and he sent it packing across the Atlantic from the Canary Islands to Mexico. Yes. And on board was him and 10 volunteers, five women, five men, all chosen based through newspaper ads, found through newspaper ads across the world. So they're all from different countries and different socioeconomic backgrounds. Yes. And he does this as an experiment to basically chronicle the connection between sex and violence. Yes. Uh, sexuality and, and, and violence, really. Um, and that's what he does. So he puts them all out at sea. He makes them sign contracts, um, which do lead to something hilarious. Yes. And then he sits there like a reality TV host and decides to keep prodding them in order to elicit specific reactions out of them. Go on. After a while. After a while, yeah. <laughs> so he lets them get on with it, and then he just thinks, ah, I'm bored now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just think, ah, I'm bored now. Oi, mate, she calls you fat. I know, I know. <laughs> like, like, honestly, yeah. like, oh, this experiment, it's going to be fantastic. Oh, it really it's, is. It's, it's, not, it's not working. Um, oh, he says you're a dick. really is the Now, the story, I think, is terrific. I mean, bonkers. The fact that it actually happened is madness. Now, here's my thing with it, though. I mean, it's well made in the the sense of how it's put together, which is to say, using the 16mm footage from the actual raft experiment itself, and intercutting that with the surviving members and participants of that expedition reuniting now on what's effectively a full-size recreation. I didn't see the point in actually making the raft again. Yeah, just in gratuitous, doesn't (laughs) it? You saw the raft on all of the footage. Yeah, you're like, I think we kind of know how this works, pal. (laughs) But... You know, it was a nice touch that they were sat around like a replica yeah. of the table, yeah. for instance. Um, the thing is, though, I mean, once you've gotten past that, there's not really much to this. You said everything like, I understand why you would want to tell the story, but why you wouldn't want to tell it as a narrative feature where you can then stretch it out to fill a full film. Yeah. And you can add character drama and tension and suspense. Like, I could actually see this genuinely being an Oscar-caliber story. Yeah. Like, could you imagine, like, you get an ensemble cast of, like, 11 really great actors. Yeah. Or, like, 10 and Miles Teller. And you you put them out at sea and you feel, you you get a pretty good Oscar date out of there. (laughs) Right, so, someone found that it happened and, and found that there was footage. Oh, we should point out, by the way, the press at the time did did name it the sex raft. Yes, yes, <laughs> and and yes, yeah, so they found they found that it, it would be a good idea to make a film, and then instead of making what would have been a really good film, they just showed you what happened, which after a while was nothing, and, effectively, and and then, <laughs> and then they were like, yeah, that happened. <laughs> That that kind of is it for me. I mean, I came away from thinking, so yeah, this this story exists. I, I did have that feeling. I did absolutely come away thinking, I just feel like the story exists. I mean, we've heard a couple of emotional because it's very telling as well that uh, the the survivors who talk to the who do the interviews, they need they are all women, aren't they? 
Yes. No, 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 no. The, oh, there the, are... The photographer. Yes, yes. I think there's one surviving male yeah. participant, isn't there? Yeah, the photographer. And, oh, and, and his perverse undertones yeah. are just hilarious. What do you mean undertones? Well, overtones. <laughs> yeah. Overtones. Because he does more or less sit there on boys and say, dude, I banged so many of these chicks. Yeah. At, one point, <laughs> at one point, he was just sat telling one of the others, yeah. you were hot. He does. He really does, doesn't he? And, and, yeah, you were a piece of ass. And then she just sat smiling, and I'm sat watching this thing like... It's like watching your grandparents. Like, it's just icky, man. Just like, what is going on? Why is this a film? Mm, I do feel, though, that, you know, th- there is... There's an amazing narrative yeah. film in this. and so, like... Like, don't be surprised if it happens. <clears throat> oh, I won't be. I'd be impressed. I'd actually... After seeing this, I'd actually really want to see that. The, the two things that got me is the the fact that quite a lot of it is utterly pointless. Yeah. But then there's there's a few little bits, like uh, when there's they're having the, moments. the discussion of if uh, Santiago was racist. Yes. One one truly believes it and had stories about how she felt like um, like there was this issue, and then somebody else was just like. Nah. nah, I didn't see it. You're like, yeah, because he wasn't saying it to you. That's why <laughs> yeah. you didn't see yeah, it. you didn't see it. Wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did think that, because there's a lot of, like, old-timey prejudice like, yes. to it as well. But, uh, no, I think, I think to be honest, the style of it, the way it's put together, which is uh, Marcus Lindeen has written and directed this. Right. The way that Marcus Lindeen's put this together is admirable, and I think it really works. Yeah. I don't think the material is there to sustain a full film, though. It's not. Not in a documentary form. Not in a non-fiction form. Yeah, it, I completely agree. Yeah, I felt I just I felt a bit underserved by it, and that's a shame because I was I was all I mean the story I thought was genuinely great. I really wanted like to get something more out of it, and I, I think it's something that will work would work better if it was scripted. I just think. Yeah, but you know. I mean, who you'd get to play Santiago Genove, I'd have no idea, but... I know, I know. Antonio Banderas? It's got to be Antonio Banderas. Oh, my God, Oscar Isaac. Yes. Oscar Isaac in an insane 70s Tommy Chong wig. Yes. Yeah, this could make this happen. Just make this happen. And you know you know, Olivia Wilde would be one of the chicks on the boat. You just know it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, so let's do some film news. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, Christopher McQuarrie, who uh, wrote and directed the last two Mission Impossible movies. Okay, the, the two that I haven't seen. The two that you haven't seen? You mean the two critically acclaimed ones? Don't get me started. I mean, Fallout is regarded as probably the best film of last year. Kelly's seen them both as well, and she doesn't even care. <laughs> I know, because she saw she Fallout with me. I like the Mission Impossible films. Oh, I, li- I like them a lot. Well, Chris McQuarrie has done such a good job with uh, Mission Impossible 5 and, and 6, so Ghost Pro- is it uh, Rogue Nation yeah. and uh, Fallout, yes. that uh, Paramount have signed him to make number 7 and 8 back-to-back. We are going to get two Mission Impossible movies a year apart. They're not... That's... No, because... Tommy. I'm going to call him Tommy. <laughs> Tommy. He's going to hurt himself. But, do you know, that's probably why they're doing two back to back. Look, he's going to die eventually. We just Let's just commission them all now before he kills himself making something like uh, Night and Day again. Yeah. All right? <laughs> like, oh. Like, let's, everyone's seen the ankle break. Like... <laughs> But it's in the film, isn't it? Why did it's he... in the film. Like, I like... I, I like that he does his own stunts and stuff, but this certain, certain things... This is getting a bit much now, yeah. Tom. Learning to fly a helicopter and... 
It's like, come on, man. <laughs> did, a, did a halo jump multiple yeah. times. <laughs> Never been done before. Yeah, okay. But uh, Okay, so, yeah, so Mission Impossible uh, 7 and 8, which I believe are going to be, is it, I think it's 2020 and 2021, I believe. Sorry, 2021 and 2022. Okay. And uh, that comes, the reason they've scheduled that is because in 2020, they already have a big Tom Cruise film coming out, and that's Top Gun Maverick. Oh, wow. So, next year, Top Gun Maverick, year after MI7, year after that, MI8. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to have a bit more Tom Cruise for a while. Gives me enough time to watch the two, though. <laughs> for another rate you get through films. But, uh, okay, so um, Eastern Promises 2, apparently going to film this year. Okay. Um, I'll be honest with you, I've never seen Eastern Promises. I hear, I hear really good things. Just, just something. Uh, let's see, what else have we got on here? The Villainess. You remember that one? It was a Korean action movie about a year and a half ago. I loved it. I think I've heard... You may remember it. The poster was quite cool, like a, had an electric purple yes. logo, electric pinky purple logo. Um, that's getting a remake for US TV, mm. for some reason. Okay. And you have a Screen Gems. They yeah. make, make a bunch of, like, ropey, mid-budget horror movies. They're going to make a movie out of, the, out of the video game series, Just Dance. You're staring at me in absolute disbelief. How? But, uh, they made an emoji movie, dude. You know? There's a Playmobil movie coming out. Really? There's a trailer out for that. Wow. Really? Yeah, there's a Playmobil movie coming out. <laughs> Sorry to be the one that breaks Dude, there's an Angry Birds movie. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, hell froze over the day they announced that. By the way, have you seen the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home? No. Now, this one is interesting. This has got a lot of people excited. It's also got a lot of people underwhelmed because a lot of people are looking at it and thinking, why is it not colourful and firm like Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, so I started <laughs> reading the comics. So, um, like Which comics? The Miles. The Miles Morales ones. So he's now hashtag my Spider-Man. Nice. So I've um, sort of lost interest a little bit. So I need to, I need to watch that trailer. It's good, it's good. It, it, it's got promise, it's got Nick Fury, and it's got Mysterio, which is yeah, kind of fun. And So, uh, you know Paul Schrader, director who's had something of a bit of a, a bumpy ride over the years, we'll say. Okay. And uh, he, he famously directed the prequel to The Exorcist. Right. right. Well, one of the versions of the prequel to The Exorcist. Okay. Um, right, so he recently drew a lot of critical acclaim. He did a movie called uh, First Reformed. Okay. With Ethan Hawke. You know the one where Ethan Hawke's a priest? You'll have seen the image. The poster is pretty much just Ethan Hawke with a priest's collar. Right. Um, and it's not a bad movie, actually. Ethan Hawke's terrific in it. Okay. Uh, but it, it got a lot of critical acclaim for uh, Paul Schrader, and he made the movie with A24 as well. Huh? Well, he's just announced he's going to do a western called Nine Men. And it, too, is uh, going to star Ethan Hawke. So, oh. Yeah, so we're uh, getting a bit more of that uh, that quality first reformed goodness in there. But uh, Oh, Willem Dafoe is going to be in it as well. Sorry, I forgot that bit. Love Willem Dafoe. Yes, Willem Dafoe is truly the bomb. Uh, we are also, <laughs> by the way, getting a the live-action reboot of Ninja Turtles this year. Apparently it's going to film this year, sorry. Just... Come on, man. <laughs> uh, they're going to make an animated film out of Mortal Kombat. Why? Know? We've already got awesome Mortal Kombat films. Well, I mean, we've also got the infinitely better TV uh, you know, web no, series. The web- yeah, that is 
is really good. That was great, wasn't it? Yeah. Captain, Captain Waterston's open to doing a sequel to Alien Covenant. Good for you, Cat. I'm not bothered about seeing it. Uh, let's see, what else have we got? The writers of Men in Black International. You know the new Men in Black they're doing this one? Yeah, that I, I massively didn't care about, but yeah. now for some reason have started caring a little bit. Is it because you saw a trailer? No, everybody oh. else will have seen I don't watch trailers. We've been through this. Okay, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. So, um, Men in Black International writers, Art Mancom and Matt Holloway, they are going to write... They've been signed to be the new writers. And bear in mind, it's got to be like the 15th set of writers okay. to have gone through this thing. Uh, on Masters of the Universe. Yeah. So, I think it is called He-Man on the Masters of the Universe, I believe. In it should situation. be. But, uh, which obviously is an adaptation of You Know What. Yeah. So, all I know is if you've not got John Cena to play Prince Adam, then you've not got my money, bitch. So. <laughs> wow, that is perfect. <laughs> you, you could see that working, couldn't you? Like, I would absolutely, I would cast John Cena, I would play the whole goddamn thing like it's 21 Jump Street. Yeah, I, w- I watched um, I watched Blockers again the other day. Oh, because of Sky Cinema? Because it's on a bit of the moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great it's, movie, isn't it? so good, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It's just great. <laughs> right, so um, after many, many years of uh, rumours and, you know, fake stories, because it's one of those stories that comes up about once a year and it's always bullshit. Okay. Right. We are finally getting, officially, a Coming to America 2. Now, correct if I'm wrong, wouldn't that be returning to America? Yeah, coming back to America. Coming back to America? I'm sticking with returning. I'm sticking with returning. But it's going to be directed by Craig Brewer, the director of Hustle and Flow. You ever seen that one? Terrence Howard's a pimp who wants to be a rapper. All out here for a pimp. Oh, yes. There you go. There we are. So yeah, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get a sequel to Coming to America. Eddie Murphy is returning as Prince Akeem. Okay. Well, then wouldn't he be king by now? What? So here's here's the uh, <laughs> here's here's the broad remit for this one because the most recent draft of the script for this was written by Kenya Barris, who's the writer and creator of Blackish. All right, cool. Okay, so you think okay, good writer. Yeah. Uh, he did, I believe, the Shaft reboot that Netflix are releasing this year. Cool. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, Shaft. Sam Jackson's back, so I'm all in because I love that '99, that '99 Shaft. Um, the story will apparently see Akeem learning about a long lost son and returning to America to meet his unlikely heir. Okay. So, Kevin Hart? <laughs> Did you just pick a small actor? Oh God! Oh God! What if it's Donald Glover? Donald Glover could be Eddie Murphy's son. Eddie Murphy's in his late fifties, right? Donald Glover could be his kid. Yes. Like, you give me that movie, written by Kenya Barris, director of Hustle and Flow, just give me one track as good as Hard Out Here for a Pimp, and, and you got you got my money. Donald Glover can do the music. But of course he can, man. Sorry. Of course he can. Childish Gambino. Yeah, exactly. Childish Gambino can do anything. But <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true. Right. He, he really can. So, Eddie Murphy is producing... Uh, I, I, I know uh, Jonathan Levine, who did uh, 50-50 in Warm Bodies... He was attached to direct previously. I'm sure he'll stay on as a producer or something. They usually do. Warm Bodies. The zombie one with Nicholas Holt. I liked that film. Yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? But uh, Okay, uh, the best news in the world. What would the best news in the world be? Um, if you're me. If you're me, what's the best news in the world? 
All oh, right. The, um, and Robert Downey Jr. has not signed for more Iron Man movies. All oh, right. I no. don't know then. Like, okay. So um, we are finally going to get the return of a film series that I absolutely adore. It's a New Line film series. It's a relatively low-budget series. It's a series that has now spawned five installments, each featuring a different cast with only one or two returning cast members and different ones. It is a film series I will revisit out of sequence over and over again. What is it? I don't know. You've got me. I'm stumped. Final Destination, baby! Oh, my God. Final Destination <laughs> is getting rebooted. So, yeah. So, okay. So not We don't know if this is going to be, like, within the continuity of it or not. And to be honest, it could be. I forgot that you love those. I movies. love those movies. <laughs> love those I do. Movies. I love Final Destination. You know, the weird thing is, like, uh, my love of, of Final Destination weirdly links into my love of something else from years earlier. It's kind of a natural thing. Um, the X Files. Uh, there's a because na- there's a natural jump from the X Files to yeah. uh, Final Destination was originally written as an X Files episode. Ah. And uh, they then spun it off into a movie idea. And the guys that make the Final Destination movie are X-Files staffers. They are Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, whole thing. But, uh, that, yeah. There's a lot of the same filmmakers and musicians and things uh, like Mark Snow, people like that, are involved in the Final Destination. Well, at least the first one. Yeah. Then it becomes, you know, the awesome horror spin-off series that it became. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we get the sixth one. Please tell me Tony Todd is returning. What's it going to be called? Get Cheap Fate. <laughs> What's it going to be called? Uh, is it going to be called... Wait, really, really, yeah, The Final yeah, Destination? Wait, no, really. Seriously. <laughs> final Destination. Wasn't the fourth one The Final Destination? The first one is called Final Destination. Yeah, and then the fourth one is The Final Destination. And that, although, cleverly... It's then Final Destination 5, and the whole twist is it takes place at the very beginning of of Final Destination 1. Yeah. Hence, the fourth one still is the Final Destination. Okay, so it gets better. (laughs) (laughs) So, Final Destination's getting rebooted, but it's got some names attached to it. And this might tell you a little bit about the direction this winds up going in. Okay. Because if you're going to bring it back, obviously you're going to tweak it. Yeah. So, what could you possibly do with it? Well, one thing you could do is go and get the guys that wrote Jigsaw. Ah. Yeah. So they've got Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, uh, who wrote Jigsaw, and Saw 9. Yeah, the last one. The last Saw movie, the reboot one. Yeah, yeah. Seen that one. Is this Saw... Saw 8? Oh, Jigsaw is Saw 8. Sorry. So Saw 8 writers, Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, they are going to write whatever Final Destination reboot is going to be called. No, wait. Seriously. Yeah, exactly. Final Destination, but really, we mean it. We promise. (laughs) (laughs) But to be fair, in a perfect world, you would have one of these movies. Like You would have a Final Destination movie in cinemas every third Halloween. And then every other Halloween, you'd have a Saw movie. And every Halloween after that, you'd have, I don't know, like one of the other series that you revive, something like that. Yeah. You know, like we used to have a paranormal activity. And then we used to, yeah. 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 We go through these phases. I, I like the Saw series. I like the Final Destination series yeah. very much. I, I could stand to see a lot more of them. Okay. Yeah. But, and also, they don't really date. 
No, no. Yeah. I, I just think of the, you know, the guy like lifting weights. Oh, we've had Last Nation. Yeah. I watched that one recently. That's, that's the third one, isn't it? That's the only scene that I can um, apart from like the log scene. But mm. that's the only one that I just think as soon as it's happening, I'm like, no. You know you're the only person that goes there and not immediately to the sunbed death. Everyone loves the sunbed death. It's it's not It's not about how good it is. It's, <laughs> it's just about how they're not gonna do that. <laughs> And then they do it. <coughs> and then you rewind it and you're like, they did it. <laughs> it's very true. It's very, very true. Um, the one the one that I always remember, because I always remember Final Destination, like, obviously I think it's the Final Destination and Final Destination 5 are the ones that are in 3D. Right. And that happened during the 3D boom, because yeah. both films kind of landed with that. Oh, literally everything. Yeah, when everything was in 3D. Yeah. So, um, the thing I always remember, though, is for, for gimmicks for that series, was the third movie had a Choose Your Fate edition. On DVD. So it was a standard DVD. You popped it in your player. And like Bandersnatch, Bandersnatch at yeah. the moment, what would happen was you were watching the film. Yeah. And it, as the plot looms closer okay. to... You know, as it does the Rube Goldberg bit when things start mysteriously moving and, yeah. like, the oil bottle gets knocked over and then, you know, and then the nail gun slips into position. And then a, a little menu will appear at the bottom of the screen and it says, would you like them to, A, get shot in the face or, B, just lose all their limbs? Right, you need to get hold of that. Mm. We need to get wasted. <laughs> we need to watch that. I actually, that's the thing, right? Obviously, I, because uh, I got burgled a few years ago and lost all of my yeah. stuff, as you remember. And uh, what that was one of the few DVDs I had kept when I'd moved over to like yeah. digital and Blu ray. And that was one of the few I wouldn't part with. I would never part with my Final Destination 3. Uh, DVD, but I will track a copy down on yeah. Amazon. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, we'll, we'll Amazon it, and we will get that going because that was a seriously great DVD, <laughs> seriously worth having. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to get uh, a new final lesson. I can't wait. That is awesome news. I'm actually excited now. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. The, the brilliance of them as well is they don't have to star anyone interesting. No, that's the joy. They don't. Yeah. They generic stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, we need the Dave Franco looking kid. <laughs> yes. We need the the hot gothy chick. We need the uh, the good girl. That we need the final girl. We need her because she's got to have the flash. She's got to have the flash forward at the beginning, and then we need uh, stoner nerd sidekick, uh, love interest, boyfriend type, okay. uh, friend zoned guy. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. We need we need the jock who's going to die in a manner befitting only a jock. Lifting weights. Yeah, yeah like lifting weights. <laughs> or, yeah. Oh, you know what would happen nowadays? It would be like one of the, like if you did the Final Destination movie now, yeah. someone's going to die whilst filming an Instagram video. Yeah. Oh my God. You know that's happening. Yes. That is clearly going to happen, that someone's going to be doing like an Instagram live video when their fate comes kind of thing. Yes. Like, that. please make this movie happen. I can't wait. A kill fee. <laughs> right, so one last story. And uh, this is this is a bit of a this is a bit of a dark one to be honest. So oh, oh tell a lie, I'll give you one first. They are apparently rebooting Green Lantern for the DCEU. Why? So, exactly. Anyway, only marginally more dark. John Lasseter, who left Pixar and Disney Animation under, let's just say something of a cloud. Yeah, yeah. He has been hired to run Skydance Animation. Yeah. 
And you know Skydance, that's uh, the production company that makes like the Terminator series, Mission Impossible series, Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of business with Paramount. Yeah. yeah. John Laster's going to run their animation division for them. So, great get for them. Yeah. Because, obviously, even though he's allegedly a terrible person who abuses his position on a whim, he can kind of spearhead an animation studio. So, it's a get for them, less so for Paramount, who are less than thrilled about it, because apparently they weren't consulted. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. I know. And, and, yeah, I mean, really, no one thought to tell Paramount. Yeah, like, just mention it in passing. <laughs> just literally, just stick it on the WhatsApp group. I mean, <laughs> come on! Don't send a memo, by all means, but stick it on the WhatsApp group. Yeah. Just... By the way, we hired John Lasseter. Yeah. But... Hope, that's, hope that's okay, if not soz. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Is this chill? Yeah. Multiple question marks. Hiya, John Laster. We good, question mark. <laughs> you know what I mean? This this is not... This is not a Senate subcommittee hearing. <laughs> but, yeah, okay, so no one thought to tell Paramount. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really bad. Really bad, that's isn't it? Really bad. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got that to look forward to, so enjoy the fallout from that one. Paramount are going to be unhappy whilst being made shitloads of money. Yeah, yeah. So, what a position to be in. Be unhappy behind all of their money. I know. I mean, I'm unhappy all the time, and I don't make shitloads of money. (laughs) I'm unhappy for free. Anyway, that's about it for me this week. Yeah, I think, I think we've covered it. In which case, here it is, your moment of cage. That's what she was there for. That was the plan, to give you a boner. <laughs> and you got one. 